Don't die on us right now, Nancy. It's not the time. Hmm? Don't die on us right now. We're about to do a show here. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Recording. Three, two. Hi, I'm Jessica Shaw, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith in unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an Coming at you from after being summoned by a Ouija board, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and the cashier told me, stripped down, facing me, how was I to know she meant my debit card? (laughs) (laughs) Joining me as usual, this team that whenever we played in the sandbox, the cat kept covering us up. She has a weird dog, his favorite bone is her arm, Nancy. Oh man, we are starting out on a low note this morning. We, the only place we can go is up, which is a really, really good thing. <laughs> and I asked her if she could look up my family tree, and she found three dogs using it. Kirsten. <laughs> yes. Ladies, welcome back. Reduced team this week. Well, that's okay. Got some of the best and the brightest. That's right. Don't think of quantity, think of quality. Yes. And today we're going to have a very interesting interview. We'll be talking to Professor Hector Garcia, and we'll be talking about her, uh, her, sorry, his book, Alpha God, and talk about the uh, psychology of religious oppression. I've been looking forward to that. Yes, this is going to be a very, very interesting Mm -hmm. and instructive interview. But first, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Um... You know the uh, the we talked uh, last week about the uh, Humboldt uh, tragedy there the, mm-hmm. the, the 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 hockey team yes. and the kids that were well they had a fundraiser and the fundraiser actually surpassed fifty million dollars. Holy smokes! Yeah. Wow! It actually came in the, the second position of, of all time as far as fundraising is concerned. It actually displaced the number two position was actually held for the uh, the uh, was a fundraiser for the victims of the Vegas shooting. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And that actually displaced it. Uh, donors from 65 countries donated to that team. Wow. Oh gosh, have they made any um, decisions as to how what, to What are going to do with the money? I don't know at this point. I had heard something that they were going to build a new locker room for the team, I think. Um, I'm not sure how. $50 million, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I'm sure they could build a couple. Yeah, or at least a mural or something. Yeah, the la- I, I read, um, it probably was last week sometime, that they were trying to make a decision... One of the decisions they were trying to make was whether or not that money was going to go in some ways to the um, the people who were uh, killed in that tragedy or whether they were going to extend it mm-hmm. to some of those who were uh, injured. So that's, uh, yeah. they have to figure out, you know, with the, the parameters of that. Either way, I'm uh, kind of flabbergasted by the, uh, the the generosity of oh, the people that yeah. decided to come out. And from 65 countries, I mean, yeah. it's amazing that uh, such a little minor league hockey team like that would garnish such support. But I think... I, think, I mean, it's a tragic accident, of course. But. No, but um, I really think Canada has such a a warm 
reputation. You know that we people love Canada, mm-hmm. and when something like this happens, I think people are are touched. You know because they really feel as they were a good country and they want to do something to we're help. We're so lovable. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, you know January's twenty seventh. Uh, is uh, known as Holocaust Remembrance Day. Yes. Yes. And there was a survey done on Holocaust Remembrance Day. Um, of course, the cry for for uh, for, for uh, the, the Remembrance Day for the Holocaust was always uh, never forget, mm-hmm. right? And the, the survey found that people are starting to forget. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The survey found that 31% of Americans think that less than 2 million Jews actually died during the Holocaust, which, of course, is actually above 6 million. Forty-one percent don't know that what Auschwitz is. And is that f- forgetting or just dumbing down well, into education? It's, it's becoming further and further in history, right? And I think it's be- yeah. it's becoming as the generations that live through it are passing on and passing away, <clears throat> the younger generation are yeah. less informed about it. Hmm. And fifty-two percent apparently think that Hitler came to power through force, huh. which of course is not the case at all. So if if something like that, that 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 to me speaks loudly that you know what you need to revise your history classes here, kids. Uh, you really need to remember that because those who forget the past are condemned to relive it. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it though. I think think the the Holocaust probably fits in the category of um, classes that no longer really teach history. They mm-hmm. kind of glaze over some yes. of the important bits, and kids don't pay attention. I don't know what it is, but it's just I guess they call it a general dumbing down, which is um, really scary when when you think about how many politicians really don't understand yeah. the, the history or the, it, not only in, in the US and Canada but they don't even understand what what happened in the world you know? well it's not as close as it used to be to us right yeah. I mean uh, there's some generation that can say yeah my, my grandfather fought in World War II but some of the younger generations now their grandparents or great grandparents are gone so they don't feel that link to, yeah. to the event to me, to me, anyway, to, I think it's uh, it's a dangerous step as well. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm quite concerned about something like that. Mm-hmm. Do you think homeschooling has anything? I guess it depends on the. Nah. On the t- I don't want. I'm not condemning. I'm just wondering whether or not parents, you know, are equipped to be able. But they have curriculum guides and so forth. Just a random thought. I don't know. I don't think. Uh, I don't think there's enough homeschooling happening to, to uh, really make a dent in a number like that. I don't know. I mean, it's there are homeschool kids that end up spelling bee champions and mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. like that, too. So I guess it depends on the, you know, like anything else, it depends on the quality of the teacher and the resources that are available. Yeah. So we'll have to keep an eye on that for sure. Yeah, interesting. Uh, did you guys hear that they, they discovered a new ant? <laughs> I love it when they discover new animals. It's new ants from Borneo, and it's nicknamed the kamikaze ant. Oh, that's species, not good. Yes, the ant species <laughs> is called... Colobopsis exploden. An oh. emphasis on exploden because that's what they do. They explode themselves when they're attacked. Oh, it is such a good thing that Christina is not here. She would be having, she would be freaking out completely. <laughs> she just, she, she hates like ants. Yeah, of course, they, they, they self detonate. So they're studying yeah. why these ants, as soon as they're attacked by something, or even if humans poke them, they have a tendency to self detonate. 
not like a big explosion, but just <laughs> break apart in goo and mess and everything. So. But the, did they just? Is this a, a, a species that they just discovered? But it's been around a while. Or? Oh yeah, it's been around oh. for a while. They just discovered it. Apparently, yeah. there's many kind of uh, these uh, quote unquote exploding ants. But apparently, this is a new species that really do that. I think exploding, uh, it's called all all oh, Autothesis, 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 or something like that. So, it's just interesting. I thought it was just an interesting bit of news. It is. And, of course, I'm sure, Nancy, you know about this. The next president of Cuba isn't going to be a Castro. That's right. Yeah, Raul Castro is uh, likely to choose the moderate Miguel Diaz-Canel. It was the first time in 60 years that uh, uh, Cuba is not going to have a Castro at the helm. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see. Apparently, uh, the uh, this gentleman already has some good relations with the prime minister already with, with Trudeau. There's a bit of a history there. Yeah, we'll have to have to see what happens. Maybe I mean this is a whole new era. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Uh, of course, the, the Castro family is coming to an end there. They're pretty old. So. Yeah, I think as long as Roll is still around, though, he's going to have. Oh yeah. I understand. He's, you know, he's going to have a lot of influence. It's when they finally are not there at all that whatever tendencies, whether they're going to be conservative or liberal or somewhere. To see moderate, if they're going to take yeah, the country in a new direction. To, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's and going to be interesting to see hope, international relations in that sense. Yeah, I'm hoping international relations improves and the people get to live a better life. Mm-hmm. It's the main thing. All right. My dear Nancy, you got a top ten for us? I do. I absolutely do. Um, this is kind of this is kind of interesting in a, in a lot of different levels. And it has to do with banned books. Oh, have you ever ooh. thought about books that have been banned? Have you ever have you ever thought at all about the um, why certain books get banned or whether they're Mine more was, banned? Now my autobiography was banned because of too much nudity. <laughs> well, that was the stripped down face. <laughs> the stripped down version. <laughs> well, that's what you get from totally. looking at a comic, Kevin. Yeah, totally understandable. Anyway, um, most of the book, not most of the books, but um, this is t- most of the books that have been banned in the U.S. because books are rarely banned in Canada, believe it or not. They're mo- most they're, uh, of the two countries in, uh, in, North, in, in North America, the U.S. bans more of them. Turn your mic just a bit there. Pardon? There we go. I want there you there. Okay. Um, so this list kind of explores books that have had um, an effect on, on American life, but I think in Canadian as well, just depending on, on what the topic. So I'm not going to go from one to ten. I'm going to kind of, because they're all sort of equal, just depending on the book. But the first book to be banned um, was The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. What? Yes, in 1884. It was banned because... Um, it was said in Concord, Massachusetts, it was trash and suitable only for the slums. And objections of the book have evolved, but just marginally. Um, Twain book is one of the most challenged of all time, believe it or not, and it's frequently challenged even today because of the N-word. It's wow. mostly those kinds of, mm-hmm. of uh, sensibilities or lack of sensibilities at, at that time. Um, otherwise, they, it's also been called racially insensitive, oppressive, and that perpetuates racism. Hmm. Do you think any of that is true? 
I don't know. I, do you really think people are racist because of something they read in Tom Sawyer? No, no, no. I really doubt that. No, I mean, it's a reflection of how people thought at, at the time. Well, yeah, time. you have to look at when the book was written. Yeah. Well, so is this book still banned? Um, in some places it is. Really? Because, wow. yeah, in some school libraries, uh, because they have racially mixed, uh, feel as though it might you know, be insensitive mm-hmm. to black students. Um, some, you know, I don't think the ideas themselves, because books are banned, you know, because of um, uh, sexual contact or, um, you know, or, or um, word, word use, the words objectionable mm-hmm. or ideas. So this one is mostly, uh, you know, racial sensitivity. Didn't he have something very similar with uh, To Kill a Mockingbird lately? Yeah, that's that's actually one of them as oh, well. Okay, sorry. Oh, really? I'm okay. Jumping ahead uh, no, that's that's okay. No, you're 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 there. Um, the the uh, other book, one of the other books on the list is the autobiography of Malcolm X, and um, that was um, in 1965. And objectors of this called it a how-to manual for crime and decried because of its anti-white sentiment. So it's interesting to contrast the contrast the two. But the book itself is the life story of Malcolm Little, also known as Malcolm X, who was a human rights activist and has been called one of the most influential Americans in history. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Um, another one is Beloved by Toni Morrison. Hmm. Uh, in 1987, and of course Toni Morrison is one of the preeminent authors you know, of, her, of her time, but yet it was a Pulitzer Prize winning novel and influential um, uh, because she's an African American writer. Um, and the book is often assigned to high school students, but parental complaints are lodged against the book because of violence, sexual content, and discussion of bestiality. Mm. So parents are generally the ones who challenge yeah. the books, mm-hmm. and then it's up to the school boards and to the librarians there to decide whether or not they want to ban the book. Books cannot be banned nationally because of freedom of speech, but they can be challenged and then they can go up to the Supreme Court if necessary. Interesting. Um, 1970, the banned book was Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, which was um, an Indian story of the American West, and that's a book um, it had to do with growth and expansion in the West from the point of view of Native Americans. And it was banned by a school district in Wisconsin in 1974. The book might be um, polemic. They wanted to avoid controversy. So there was one that was mostly on, on ideas. This was interesting. In 1903, Call of the Wild by Jack London. Did you ever read any of No, I haven't read it. Stories. Yeah, they were... Um, Stories of you know Alaska and uh, of the North, and uh, they had to do with man versus nature yep, and animals yep. and things like that. So this one was challenged because of its dark tone and bloody violence. 
and it was seen as a man and a dog story, and it was sometimes read by adolescents, and the parents challenged it because of age appropriateness. So objections uh, were raised, uh, and the book was also banned in Italy, but it's come back. Most of these books have come back, and they're, they're mm-hmm. but some of them remain challenged because parents will read it, you know, and even in this day and age for the first time and say, what is that book doing in the library? And then, of mm-hmm. course, it begins. Um, in 1961, Catch-22, Joseph Heller. Okay. Anybody read that? Nope. That had to do with World War II. And again, um, they thought that that it was removed um, because the, um, um, the, the parents, again, thought there was just too much um, uh, violence in, 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 in the book. Catcher in the Rye, which mm-hmm. is a classic, 1951. Um, the reasons why it's removed from classrooms and school libraries, unacceptable, obscene, blasphem- blasphemous, negative, blasphemous. foul, filthy, and undermines morality. And Ugh. Yeah, and it, of course, if you've read the book, it's just a seminal book on adolescence, but the parents don't want their kids to read about adolescence. <laughs> <laughs> they're living you know, it, but you don't want to read about it. They're living it, yeah, exactly. Fahrenheit 451. Oh, Ray of course, Bradbury. yes, Ray Bradbury. Um, but they, didn't, they didn't want to ban the book outright. They didn't want but, to burn it either. Yeah, <laughs> but there was a school in Irvine, California, that said... Um, that there are, there are a lot of um, uh, profanity in the book, hells and dams. So they, they, they let the book stay in the library, but they blacked out the hells and dams. Oh, naturally, the kids wouldn't be curious no, no, as to what was, what was under there. Um, and other complaints, though, said the book went against, against religious beliefs. And that, of course, you know, in some conservative places is reason for banning the book. But I've always thought it was really funny. I don't know whether in in any of your school libraries, but in Texas and some of the school libraries, if there were works of art that had nudity, they covered them over. Really? Yeah. It's like, (laughs) hello? (laughs) I mean, anybody who thinks that they can suppress an idea or a thought or a bodily part by covering it over, you know, has no understanding of th- there are other books that are exactly the same in libraries that are not covered. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just it's, ridiculous. Yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit like when you're watching a movie and they're bleeping something, you know, they put that little sound up. But you know what's there. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you, really, you really think you're fooling anybody here? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, definitely in my school library, I don't remember anything like that. Then again, I was an art kid, so I was in art class pretty much through most of my high school I had art so seeing like that's one place where you see a lot of nudity not that that was always oh, what we were looking at that explains at, but so much yeah. about you now explains why I, yeah <laughs> explains a lot that's right. If God didn't like nudity, he would have had kids born with diapers. I mean, you know what? Or clothing. That's, that's just... just, just yeah. Anyway, uh, Ernest Hemingway in 1940, For Whom the Bell Tolls, mm-hmm. which made a, which was a wonderful movie. Now, was, it, was this, this book banned because of Hemingway himself or because of what was written in the book? <laughs> but this book, after its publication, the post office, which purpose was in part to monitor and censor distribution of media, and text declared the book non-mailable. 
um, in the 1970s, eight Turkish booksellers were tried for spreading propaganda that was unfavorable to the state because they had published and distributed the text. It wasn't Hemingway's only banned book, Farewell to Arms, Across the River, Into the Trees, were also um, censored. Of course, it did a lot of good, so Hemingway is considered one of the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it just shows in time, these things, you know, become... You know, uh, they're no no longer suppressed and they're free. You know, people are free to read them. But at the time, when you think of today, that something like "For Whom the Bell Tolls" was was. Uh, uh, it makes me makes me wonder when you're an author like that and your book, you know, which is a lot of work, and it gets banned like that. Are you proud or are you angry at that? I guess you know, it depends. Was on it the like author. a badge of honor to have a book that's banned? You're making a statement you know so I, strong. I, I, I think it depends on the author because way back when, I believe in the 20s, uh, Henry Miller wrote The Tropic of Cancer, mm -hmm. which was, I, I guess, by even by today's very shocking, pornographic, sexually explicit. I think, there, I think he probably was proud that it was banned because it showed to him that it was so powerful and erotic and sexual that the conservatives couldn't handle it. So I, I think for them it, it was. But today, I think that what there was an author a couple of years ago that I'm trying to think of the name of the book. Um, it, I can't remember the, 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 the title exactly. It was, and somebody makes three. I can't remember the name. Uh, uh, so I'm just stumbling, which is a wonderful thing to do on a podcast. <laughs> but the book itself was a chi is a child's book, Tony. I think and Tony makes three. The book itself is about two male penguins that find a an egg and they oh. sit on it and they hatch it, and it turns out to be this lovely little girl penguin. And the book was written for children, you know, to explain that you know that love is important, not you know, what your gender is, yeah, yeah, but exactly. th that it's love and I think those authors were probably appalled to think that they wrote this lovely you know children's book that was suppressed and banned so mm -hmm. I think it depends on the author yeah, the author and the reason why it was banned it's, yeah. obvi it's obvious penguin I'm sorry propaganda. I butchered the name of that book it's a sweet little book and I'm well, it's obvious saying. penguin propaganda right yeah. I mean, you gotta be careful about that <laughs> anyway last book damn flightless birds last book on the list It'll kind of be a surprise Gone with the Wind oh yeah mm -hmm. And Clark Gable would, you know, I, I, I don't know whether he realized he was, you know, the star of a band book or not. But it was a Pulitzer Prize winning novel, as we all know. Became an Academy Award winning film. And um, the reason it was banned um, is because, uh, although it was critically praised for thought-provoking and realistic depiction of, uh, of life after the Civil War, it... Um, came under fire because of its portrayal of slavery and the use of the the n-word mm. and even today i think um uh, Mar margaret mitchell is accused in, of some by some of being being racist so it's kind of interesting about you know books that have been banned 
rather than using them as discussions, some people feel yeah. they just want because I object to the book. It's no good for you either. I, I'm so <laughs> of course we were talking more about something that was U.S. centric here because Canada doesn't do a whole lot of banning like that. But uh, had we gone to an international thing, we could have talked about the Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie, mm-hmm. you know, and a whole bunch of these kind of books that are often banned in these. Uh, <sighs> Less than favorable countries, I should say. Yeah. God knows that list could be expanded big time. Yeah. Very interesting list, Nancy. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, it, it is a list. Different, different list. The American Library Association comes out every year with a list of challenged books. And the, the, the sister organization, whose name I can't recall in Canada, also comes out with a list of challenged, challenged books. Uh, you you didn't see my autobiography in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Kevin, I Hardly Knew Me. <laughs> That's a great title. I love it. Well, would you like me to challenge it so that it's on the list? <laughs> Do you a favor? <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, ladies. My dear, this is going to be interesting because today you are doing another brilliant moment. I am. Brought to you by religion. Oh, thanks for the intro, Kevin. No problem. All right. First up, Liberty Council Attorney says Satan and his minions are behind public school sex ed programs. What? Satan again? Yep. That guy's just everywhere. I know, right? Mary McAllister, Senior Litigation Counsel for the Anti-LGBTQ Organization, Liberty Council, appeared on Cliff Kincaid's USA Survival Program, where she declared that sex ed programs in public schools are satanic. Oh. McAllister and Kincaid were discussing the upcoming sex head sit-out effort being organized by religious right activist Elizabeth Johnson, who is better known as the activist mommy, which encourages parents to remove their children from school to protest what she sees as graphic gender-bending sex education. Gender-bending? Gender-bending. What is Put it to music. Is that like a sex position? Yeah. (laughs) Should I play some Barry White for this? Maybe. (laughs) They're experimenting on our kids, Kincaid warned, when he asked McAllister what she means by the line in her Twitter bio stating that she is working to stop the satanic sexualization of our children and the destruction of the family. Because informing people about sex is bad. It is. It's so bad. And teaching them about their bodies is bad. Bad. Ban Bannet. sex? Ban it. The comments no, of Nancy are not necessarily do those not of ban sex. <laughs> no, it's it's Satan driven. It's bad it's sex. So I bad. don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's so amazing that they don't seem to realize after all the, this uh, abstinence only, it doesn't work. There's no. so many stats that yeah. prove it doesn't work. You you know, and the, the funny thing is these are the same people that will tell you in one breath, don't teach about sex because you don't want kids doing it. But you want to teach him about handling a gun, though, because you don't want him to get shot or shoot somebody <laughs> accidentally. You would think right? somehow they should be making the same connection with no, sex. Guns good, body's guns bad. Good. Yeah, I know. It's, right? Yeah. It's evil, McAllister replied. It's so, absolutely evil. evil. God has made us all in his image. He has set out for us rules for living that enable us to live rich and full and healthy lives. And all of this that is going on now is directly aimed at tearing all of that down. Well, we know who does that. That's the enemy. That's Satan and his minions. So, in other words, you can shoot a 12-gauge, you just can't shoot a load. Yep. (laughs) You're in a spiritual battle, she added. These are the principles... Principalities that have taken over, and they aim at destroying our children, destroying our families, and destroying our society in order to have their own rules in place, or lack of rules in place. Mm. (laughs) 
How dare they? Right? Yeah. Chaotic sex. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, anarchy and sex. All right. That's a great title. It is. It's a bad book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And here's here's next one up. Gay couples are not mentally capable of raising children. Oh, no. Right? Okay. This is just some pretty crazy stuff going on here, guys. Mm. On his radio program, right-wing commenter Jesse Lee Peterson said that married gay couples should not be allowed to adopt children because they are not mentally capable of raising children and are also notoriously violent towards each other. Notoriously violent. You know, oh, I, I hate it when I see some gay couples decorating really violently. <laughs> you know, I, you walk into the house, it's immaculate. I, was, I hate that. <laughs> Discussing the incident last month in which several children died after their lesbian foster mothers reportedly intentionally drove their van off a cliff, oh, Peterson said he doesn't know why anyone would trust children with lesbians and homosexuals who call themselves to be married because they are very violent towards each other, especially the so-called lesbian couples okay this is only true when we are playing monopoly and i am kicking christina's butt (laughs) she's not here to defend herself that's not fair (laughs) nope she is not here to defend herself but apparently lesbians are really violent in their relationships oh yes we have allowed this to go too far he added enough is enough these people are not mentally capable of handling the stress of of raising children because the situation itself is not normal Two women together as husband and wife is not a normal situation. So how in the world will they be able to handle the stress of raising children? God is not with them. Satan is their father. <laughs> Satan again. Satan again. Satan again. Satan's always he there. He never sleeps. Nope. Now, Kirsten, when you read something like that, don't you feel that you want to kind of become violent towards that guy? <laughs> you saw him right here. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Like, and I would encourage you. I don't want kids. <laughs> but the people at work, one of my coworkers uh, called me Raptor Mom. Raptor Mom? Raptor Mom. Ooh. As in, like, Velociraptor? Oh, okay, oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Rapture. I thought you meant, thought you meant rapture. Raptor. Raptor. Raptor mom. Right? I'm going to need to put a sound effect in this. Yes. But <laughs> Raptor mom will be soon. It's the end of the world by, by in a couple of days anyway. <laughs> but I, I really hate it when they grab a story like that, because there was a tragic story of this woman that drove off the, the cliff there with, with the kids and everything, and they just pounce on a story like that. Oh, absolutely. You know, if, if this was a good uh, Baptist preacher that done that, they wouldn't be saying a thing. Nope. But as soon as it's somebody whose sexual orientation goes against whatever they fucking believe, these idiots, all of a sudden, oh my god, there we go, there's and, proof right there. And I like how it's specifically going after relationships of two women. Yeah. Of women here who are producing said children, generally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, re- I really think they would. I-, I think we should really lock up straight people because they keep producing gay pay, gay, yeah. gay offsprings. Right? Exactly. I mean, they really, really should stop that. I think so. That same sex should be banned. I have to go back to. You know. <laughs> it's just we ought to have robot children that are produced, you know, in a factory where you've got quality control, that- and they're all the same. There, there's no variation. That would be so there's no chance for Satan, you know, to infect. Effect that I think we all just robots is the way to go. Well, you might not know that Nancy likes her sex really under control. She used to be dominatrix. (laughs) What do you mean, used to be? Wait wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) Sorry, I'm interrupting you, dear. No worries. All right. I I resemble that remark. (laughs) And I got this story especially for Christina because she's not here. Aww. 
Students at Christian Hogwarts suck graves and try to walk through walls. What? <laughs> Christian Hogwarts? What the hell is that? <laughs> okay. Last year, the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, which has been dubbed the Christian Hogwarts, was getting a lot of attention for its promise to teach students how to spot a true prophet as well as how to perform miracles. Oh, hold on, hold on. Find a break and stop the train here. You are telling me there is a school of a supernatural ministry? Oh, I want to go. Oh, yes. Where is this thing? It's, uh, I think it's in Northern California. And they're trying to teach kids how to spot the real prophet. Oh, oh. Is that a skeptical? That's a skeptical? I'm wondering. Is that like skeptical class 101? (laughs) I don't think these kids are questioning anything. (laughs) Just hold on. If that wasn't weird enough for you, there's more. Now... They're trying to walk through walls, and they're up to something called grave sucking. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? Grave sucking. Grave sucking grave also sucking? called grave soaking, is where people lie on the graves of deceased Christians to absorb their blessings. Kind of so- <laughs> kind of sounds like these kids are turning into dementors. Sucking. Uh, I had a totally different image in my mind. I'll yeah. see right away. Yeah, yeah. Really need a large. There's a mouth. reason I saved this one for last. <laughs> Grave sucking. Oh, Pastor my God. Banning Liebscher explained that he and the other church leaders aren't pro grave sucking, but they aren't about to stop it either. Kind of seems like they, from like comments they made, doesn't seem like they know what to do about it. They seem really confused by it. <laughs> Leave my sucking alone. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and, well, then, if they're if they're confused, now, do they get? Is that a, is that a credit course or is it optional? Then, since they don't know, you, you, you I, I guess you could take the course as an optional, but you wouldn't get credit for it, right? It, it kind of sounds like. Um... It's you sort know, of like bowling. You know, you you couldn't do you you remember, do it for pleasure. I want to take graves like in one oh. I want to take graves like in one oh one. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now we're going to um, Wouldn't you love to see their printed curriculum of all of these classes? I would I would love to see the printed it's, curriculum. It's probably right yeah. below after grave sucking, you probably got like corpse humping one two or something like that. <laughs> now what about the walking through walls on a platform nine and three quarters? Oh, oh. Students are trying to walk through walls because it's in the Bible, right? Oh, yeah, of course. All right, here's a quote here. We were in staff one time, and these students, I don't even know where this came from, but I was getting emails from my pastor friends from around the nation, Liebscher says. And social media puts it all out there right now. But they were, like, putting coins on the wall, and they were staying, and they're like, oh, man, this is God, this is supernatural. Like, these kids are out there. I mean, this is like a movie, isn't it? I mean, this is this is like a, feels like it's based on a movie, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like a parody. You know, it it would be a big hit. The funny thing is, in a way, walking through a wall is technically possible. You know, if you look at quantum physics mm-hmm. and you look at quantum tunneling, the odds are astronomically insane that would happen but it's technically not zero so it's technically possible yeah like is it practice 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 or is there (laughs) is there a technique that you have to no you just because because uh, i'm not i'm not (laughs) going to explain quantum here but because because particles don't uh, can act as a wave Uh therefore they're all kind of in flux 
So if you time it right, if you were to time it right, you could find the hole, if you wish, to go through the wall. But I that, mean, like I said, the odds are astronomical. I mean, in a beginning, in a beginning class, would you like first practice like going through smoke, <laughs> you know, and then you know afterward maybe like paper a eventually, paper, yeah, so cardboard, you build a cardboard. <laughs> move, what, build it up to more solid, more and more solid objects. What your black hurt belt? If it doesn't work. What your your black belt and quantum tunnel and you can go through brick. <laughs> now the one thing I haven't told you is what level of students these are. <laughs> these are college Those students. Those are definitely what? unbalanced on level. These are college students. Apparently, it never occurred to them that the walls may be just a bit sticky or damp, and that's why the <laughs> coins remain there. They're really not the brightest crayons in the box, are they? Oh, <laughs> not the sharpest wands in the Magic Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> nope. And as for banging their heads into walls, that explains a lot. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, does it ever? Yes. <laughs> Liebscher went on to say that he and the school's founder, Bill Johnson, haven't intervened to stop students from participating in unsanctioned supernatural activities. This, according to the pastor, is because Bethel doesn't police its students. But the least they could do, and do us all a favor, and videotape the students the next time they try to walk through walls. No, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm kind of curious also as to the unsanctioned supernatural activities. Yeah, I, what are the sanctioned the supernatural thing. activities they it, have? It kind of sounds like this is kind of going along the lines of, remember when planking was a big thing yeah, a little yeah, while ago? Yeah, yeah, It seems kind of like it's going along the lines of that. That was grave-sucking instead. Apparently. I want to go. I mean, do they have summer classes? I I could go for the summer. <laughs> like this one is just like I I saw this and I just died. Did they have an owl when they were trying to pass through the wall? Maybe yeah. they miss an owl. You need an owl with Maybe you. Maybe you do need an owl. Yeah. Christine's not here. She can answer these questions. She'd be our local expert. <laughs> is, is is the school? What is the name of the school? Because I'm going to look it up. It is. And it's Northern California. I believe so. so. Liberal. That's what's so funny. The Bethel School of Supernatural Bethel, Ministry. The Bethel School. Mitch's in Walt Disney. It's in Walt Disney World. I'm, I'm going to send. I'm going to send away for application form. I just. It's just too good an opportunity to pass. This one was. Just, I want to do the grave sucking. I, I want to put you in a long black dress with yes, the, exactly. the witch hat and everything. I totally want to do that. And a big staff, and you can oh. be like Professor Professor Gallagher <laughs> of the potion teaching or the right. defense against. What is it? Defense against the black. Like ours or something like that. Yeah. Christy's not here. She needs to be here for this. <laughs> I wonder if I could pass myself off as an instructor. Oh, totally. And, and, and I'll do the unsanctioned classes because yeah. they'd be the most fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This one was just too good to pass up. Yeah. <laughs> too good, indeed. Oh, thank you so much if for I'm that. If I'm not here next week, just find me in the cemetery <laughs> sucking away. Sucking graves. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so when you're sucking graves like that and you um, quote unquote absorb their powers do you get to roll a plus one and you dice or something is this like a D&D it's, thing it's not even sucking the powers they're absorbing their blessings it's the blessings oh so really it's not even any like, magical are... powers it's just absorbing their blessings whatever happened to just sprinkle some water on people is so if, that a you're, if you're right. grave sucking 
If you're grave sucking and you term. sneeze <laughs> and you hear from the grave, God bless you. There you go. That, does that mean that there you passed go. the class? Ring yes. the bell. Ring the bell. <laughs> That's the sign that you've that you've done it. <laughs> I'm going to this school. I don't care. No. Road trip. Don't hold me back. I'm off. I'm going. Nancy's <laughs> got her broom and she's flying out I'm the window. <laughs> there you go. So I wonder if you walk out of the street today, you just come to the random people and just hug them and say, I'm people sucking today. <laughs> See if you're going to get some blessing. Probably get a black eye. get punched in the face. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Bless you. Bang. Oh, oh God. That was thank funny. Thank you, Kirsten. That's you're one, welcome. That's one of the best segments we've, we've, we've ever In a while. Had. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, ladies. And we'll be right back with Dictor. <laughs> Dictor. Wow, I can't even speak anymore. Dr. <laughs> Professor Hector Garcia. So go suck in the grave in the meantime, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Hi, I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. Here's an excerpt from Mum, Dad, I'm an Atheist by David G. McAfee. It is the same highly regarded concept of an afterlife that allows misguided religious people to justify the mistreatment of those who disagree with their religious ideologies. They are simply trying to protect you from eternal damnation in the afterlife by condemning you, insulting you, and even disowning you in this life. It is not to say that becoming open about your disbelief is always going to be met with these negative reactions and, in fact, that is precisely what this work is hoping to prevent. But it is important to understand that if you experience negative reactions from religious kin, it is probably a result from the religion's teachings and likely not from any personal vendetta or hatred. Find this audiobook and many more at AtheistAudiobooks.com taught us it just in my lifetime an enormous amount more about how little we know because we have a, a now an increasingly large idea of the fantastic expanse of the, un, the unknown that's precisely the moment at which to say that skepticism is what's necessary inquiry debate doubt where's faith in this where's the usefulness of faith there there's no use to it at all 
Alright, joining me online is Professor Hector Garcia from the University of Texas and also the author of Alpha God. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Professor Garcia, thank you so much for joining us at Left of the Valley. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. Uh, Professor, you, we're going to be talking about your book, Alpha God, today, but for our audience that might not be familiar with you, uh, you're quite uh, popular in the States, but maybe not so much north of the 49th. Would you be so kind to give us a quick bio as to who Hector Garcia is? Of course. Well, I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist. I uh, specialize in uh, treating combat-related PTSD, um, and I'm a professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio, Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really love evolutionary science, and um, I think it, it can answer a lot of important questions about who we are and how we interact with one another. And so I have devoted any time that I can to just promote the science and, and to help move us forward in our understanding about, about that part of our psychology, our evolved psychology. Well, that is certainly worthwhile work. And today we're going to be talking about your book, Alpha God. Now, my first question is, this wasn't a typo. It wasn't Alpha Dog, right? It was Alpha God. It was not Alpha Dog. (laughs) (laughs) Similar concepts, but it was Alpha God. That's a pretty powerful, gripping title right away. So what is Alpha God about? So Alpha God is about how we project ourselves onto our notions of God. And, and, you know, we're, we humans are, are primates and, and we evolved in a primate dominance hierarchy for all of our evolution, including even today. And, you know, we have projected the primate dominance hierarchy onto our notions of God. So, so the, the Twitter version of this is that, you know, when you, when you consider, when you consider who we are as human beings, who we are as, as, as mortal beings, we have a time limit, mm-hmm. right? We, we go through cycles of birth, growth, maturity, decline, and then eventually, eventually we go back into the earth. We have a bodily form, mm-hmm. and that form is frail. We can die from disease. We can die from injury. We can die when we, most of us, uh, you know, eventually we die from just time. We need food for energy, as, and, and, and we compete for control over food and the territory that produces it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're limited in so many ways. We don't know everything, despite what some people may claim, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we don't know everything. And this and, – and, and nevertheless, um, we project ourselves onto our gods, and our gods are described as having many of the very same interests as we have, interest in territory, interest in – and 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 food interested in sex interested in just uh, submission displays interest um interested in 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 his reputation and this is this is what we project onto onto gods across the world's religions but these projections kevin they they represent biological creatures mm-hmm. and it goes against the very notion of of, uh, of gods as being um, all the omnis, you know, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, mm-hmm. um, immaterial, everlasting. So, so that's that's how God is described across the world's religions. Why would a god who is everlasting need need uh, food sacrifices or burnt offerings? Mm-hmm. Uh, why would a God who doesn't need to reproduce himself be so obsessed with sex? Why would a God who doesn't need food be obsessed with territory? 
But he's described as being interested in all these things. And bottom line, the subtitle of the book I think is really important, and that's The Psychology of Religious Violence and Oppression. Mm. So it's trying to understand why we human beings engage in religious violence, why we oppress people through through you know the guise of religion and in using the projections that we make onto our god to explain that now the questions you were asking a few seconds ago saying why would a god need a food sacrifice why would a god need to be worried about our, our, our sexual conduct stuff like that i can hear i can hear theists right now echoing in the background saying well he's doing this to protect us he's doing this to protect us is this what exactly alpha god is about uh, having um our fear being projected onto a protective father figure well that's certainly one of the the protections that's offered um by religions worldwide is for you know you the, the god of the abrahamic faith is is a protector god he's mm-hmm. he in fact in the bible he's He's described as protecting against, well, uh, protecting against death for once, death itself. But again, you know, this is this is us. This is the primate dominance hierarchy. This is this is having evolved in groups where there were large, powerful males who did serve a protective function of the group, um, wow. from 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 predator species, from from other males, and in fact, the god of 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 Abraham is described in the Bible as protecting against predators, like predators that we found on the African savanna, mm. um, wild dogs, lions, things like that. Um, so that's that's one of the functions, and and that's what males of our society do. That's that's what they have done, uh, you know, ever since we were hunter gatherers and before. Hmm. So we pro- we project this maleness, we project this largeness onto our onto our gods. So the bigger the god, the more badass he is. The bigger, the more badass he is. You know, there's research looking at at our preference in in, in the U.S. And, and and I think there's parallel research in other places looking at our choices of political candidate, presidential candidates. Mm. And one study looked at I I want to say like a hundred years. I can't remember exactly how many how many uh, presidential races they looked at, but on almost all of the the cases. Um, all the races, rather, um, the the taller of the two candidates won. Hmm. You know, we're attracted to large, formidable, strong leaders, even though today, which of our presidents is going to represent us in a physical fight? Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. It resonates with us. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, because even here in Canada, a couple of years ago, our current prime minister before he was a prime minister uh, was actually engaged in a boxing match against an opponent uh, in in uh, in, the, in the conservative camp and uh, there was a lot of fanfare about this <laughs> really yes. that's interesting who was this uh, it was uh, Justin Trudeau he was uh, he actually had a boxing match against i forget the name of the conservative mp that challenged him but even though Justin was the underdog he was a uh, slimmer man and uh, not as big as the other guy he actually won the match an actual boxing match. An actual match. boxing match, yes. Well, see, that resonates with us. I mean, why, how, you know, that really has no bearing on how good somebody is at, at being a prime minister or a president. No, of course you know? not. Of course not, yeah. Um, I, remember, I remember seeing Trudeau in a boxing gym training. I remember seeing, seeing footage of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen similar footage of, of uh, you know, Russian President Vladimir Putin. Um, so, you know, um, 
and the interesting thing is when you look at the at the uh, 2016 presidential race in the U.S., mm-hmm. everybody was bragging about how tough they were. You know, it, it was it was it was it was ridiculous. People were talking about, well, when I was in high school, I used to beat up people with rocks and, and bats and stuff. And <laughs> yes. like, why are you saying this? It just got it just got weird. You know, it just got very primal. Yeah, um, as a kid, you know, I always found that very interesting about American politics. It almost seems like as soon as uh, a politician's masculinity is questioned, they put on something orange and take a rifle and go hunting, you know, right away as a PR right. move. You know? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's very primitive. And, you know, it speaks to these really old parts of the brain for which this is intuitive. And it's it's mostly it's largely unconscious. You know, we don't consciously think hey you know this this guy would be a good fighter you know and and protecting me physically Mm -hmm. but it certainly resonates and you know that president trump's taunts you know he was calling jeb bush weak and marco rubio little marco you know i mean schoolyard stuff but when you're talking about you know delivering a message straight to the primate brain that kind of stuff does it, unfortunately. It's, it's kind of silly to think that uh, this kind of tactic, which we, we would see as ridiculous in intellectual circles, is thinking this is ridiculous to challenge somebody to a fist fight. Same thing that happened with uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump a couple of weeks ago via Twitter. <laughs> but yet, in a way, uh, maybe Donald Trump knows exactly what he's doing, you know, by responding to the primate brain that his uh, constituents have. Well, sure, you know, um, and and... You know, coming back to our projections onto God, I mean, the, the God of Abraham has ha, had been described as showing immense inter, interest in territory, carving out territory for mm. the Judaic tribes. It, just clearly, it goes up to this point, up to this point, up to this point. This is yours. I secure this for you. Securing food resources for 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 the tribes. You know, protecting against the outside tribe. Well, that's something that Donald Trump did um, repeatedly. Throughout his campaign, you know, his his idea of like we're going to build a wall to keep out the Mexican rapists and criminals. You know, you can't get more literal than we're literally going to build a wall demarcating our territory. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we're going to make Mexico pay for said wall, which 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 secures resource retains resources for the tribe. You know, it's, it's just really primitive stuff, and I think. Trump's game is just being incredibly concrete about it all. That's 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 his that's his game. That's his angle. Very interesting. And you mentioned uh, at the beginning that you're also uh, very into evolutionary psych- uh, biology and psychology, obviously. So how how is this used? Uh, how does uh, this approach was? How was it used in your book to bring this this concept? Well, just unpackaging all these different elements. Um, God is being interested in territory and how that results in, in violence and oppression. God being interested in sexual control, how that re- results in, in oppression of women. Um, God being interested in, in, in his, immensely interested in his reputation. Mm. You know, um, that's, that's an interesting phenomenon that really has to do with the psychology of men. And you know, on, on this topic, I want to read you something because I have it right here in front of me. It's a, it's a, it's one of my favorite quotes from Richard Dawkins on okay, this topic. Of course, he says a widespread assumption, which nearly everyone in our society accepts, the non-religious included, is that religious faith is especially vulnerable to offense, 
and should be protected by an abnormally thick wall of respect and a different class from the respect that any human being should pay any other. Mm-hmm. I know that's a mouthful, but you know, no, it's very that's, true. that's really fascinating to me. I, I, I cite that in my book and it's such a good point. Um, there are these walls of respect around religion that even non-religious people are like, yeah, you just don't go there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, and I think it's a brilliant point that it's just kind of this tacit agreement that we all have that's that's unconscious. And I, I, I just commend him for bringing that to the fore. But I would add that there's a class of respect similar to that paid religion, and that's the respect paid to powerful men. Um, for example... You know, you can get in Saudi Arabia, you can get hard prison time for criticizing the Saudi king, mm-hmm. you know, and this is all about maintaining reputations. Men are interested in maintaining their reputations because reputations, when you really look at them through an evolutionary lens, they're really about one's position on the dominance hierarchy. Um, and they're really backed up by by the the credible threat of violence, mm-hmm. and and you can see this, Kevin, in the in the in the names given powerful men like Alexander the Great, like um, uh, Ivan the Terrible, yes. Vlad Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> <laughs> These are reputations for fierceness, right? Yes. And in the worlds of 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 men, you want to maintain that reputation because. Any slight to it, it, it connotes weakness. And and you don't want to be seen as weak in the primate hierarchy. Right? I mean, just think of just I mean for just think of the prison hierarchy for a moment. Mm-hmm. What happens if you're considered weak? You take all the abuse from everybody. Yeah. But we project this need to to maintain a reputation of, of dominance, of being a badass. <laughs> To our notions of God, who are who are omnipotent, and they wouldn't they wouldn't need to have that reputation. Who would they need to defend it against? That's an excellent point. What risk do they have falling down the hierarchy? Yeah, you know, especially when um, we're talking about blasphemy laws. I mean, really, you you got the immense creator of the universe out there making planets and do taking control of an entire universe, and he's concerned about some blogger jag off somewhere on Earth saying he's an ass. Really, he's concerned about that. <laughs> well, that's the whole point. You know, it, it, the whole point of this book is, of course, gods don't care about reputations. You know, of mm-hmm. course, of course, there's no immaterial all-powerful being who who would ever care about something like this you know men do and 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 men project this onto their gods and they often conflate the wish of their gods you know the the needs of their gods the desire of their gods to their own you know that's something that uh that susan b anthony talked about she said "I, i just trust people who know so well what God wants them to do because it always coincides with their own wants. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, so so, but when you when you look at the how God is puppeteered, it's like okay, that's that's not true. It's about it's about you. It's about the it's about it's about what you want. I mean, usually if you go against the word of the king, you're going against the word of God. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. You're challenging the most powerful male in the universe. If you go against the word of the king, 
So, but all that serves to maintain these very biological, very primate-like concerns, and it all has, it all has uh, evolutionary fitness implications. So, so, so one person who who fits this this uh, you know this pattern is somebody in in history who's called the the it, Ismail the bloodthirsty. You ever heard of this guy? I'm afraid not. Well, he was a he was a king of Morocco who he really earned his name. Let me just put it that way. Okay. And um you know, he had a, a habit of of all the 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 men that of the, the villages that he conquered, he would put their head on a spike and surround his his city with them. Oh. Um so he earned his name for being bloodthirsty, but this guy made the Guinness Book of World Records for how many children he had. He supposedly had 888 children and kept 500 concubines. Holy. So, bottom line, what I'm, what I'm, where I'm going with this is that, you know, having a dominance reputation has implications for biological beings and, and for fitness, for evolutionary fitness. How many of our genes can we push into the next generation? Mm. That a god would be so interested in these things is all just a projection and you know the point is understanding where we get this all from so we can understand religious violence better so we can understand it better so we can curb it so we can you know mitigate human suffering that's uh, very interesting indeed I, I couldn't I couldn't help but think about you, you were talking about how we we project uh, onto our God and all that is it possible to take maybe a, a slight left here that it's there's also some psychology of team building as well in that because we have a tendency to especially when we're insulting a god uh it seems to me that theists have a tendency to think you're insulting my god you're insulting me in a way is there something to that oh absolutely i think i think religions are nothing if not tribes Mm. you know they're the psychological tribe they're run by headmen in the church hierarchies um and you know ultimately the headman in the ether um and so you know i think i think rep- preserving the reputation of of your tribe um most of the abrahamic faiths were faiths that are that are kind of based on you know a conquering sort of ethos you know um one of the things that that interests me a, a, a great deal is the history of the of the the Spanish conquest of the Americas because you know m- uh, my own heritage comes from that conquest so when when the Spaniards came over here clanging in their armor with their with their guns and their swords and their dogs of war they also came bearing crosses and and every temple that they dismantled from the the people who were living on on this in this hemisphere they erected cathedrals they erected crosses and mm-hmm. and that really said look our tribe's headman our tribe's god is more powerful than yours yes yeah. exactly yeah um, I, I can remember one of the place where i was born in, in quebec and there is a uh, uh, cathedral uh, saint Anne, uh, and it was built on originally what was originally a, a native american uh sacred ground and it was built right on top there because the, apparently the the natives felt at the time there was some kind of energy protruding from that place, and it was built right on top there as, as a bit of a f you, you know, <laughs> you know, you don't own this place anymore. We do. Yeah, that is just uh, th- that is just stripped down. It's just really primal territorial marking. 
you know, and and it's something intuitive to the primate brain. Okay, you have this god who's really powerful, um, but the way it's been used across history is, um, you know, you bow to my god and you bow to me because I represent him. Mm. You know, and all this has fitness benefits. I mean, when we look at the at the genome in Latin America, for instance, um, the rep- the the representation of Spanish genes of European genes male genes it's overrepresented so mm. so what happened was you know the, the the men who came over here to conquer um they achieved greater fitness through these means through saying look you know bow to me um submit to my god and and you know give me all the rewards that he demands sexual primacy hmm. gold everything else um, very interesting you know, it all boils down to to you know it all boils down to um, to evolutionary fitness in many cases. Are we still seeing a bit of an evolution of the religion and the archetype uh, of uh, the figure in the religion? I think, for example, uh, Jesus. I I I can still remember as a, a child walking into a church. And you saw Jesus. He was kind of a skinny dude. You know, on a cross. But now you see some images of Jesus. I mean, there was an image out of the Philippines. His last meal must have been pure protein. This guy was more Jack <laughs> than Schwarzenegger. You know, and even some images coming out of uh, the USA. Jesus walking out of the tomb. He looks like he's like six foot four. He's got pecs. He's just pushing the rock out of the way. Like, get out of my way! Terminator's coming. So, is there is there is there a bit of an evolution of the figurehead itself to make him more manly as compared to what he was back then? Oh, you know, sure. I think I think religions evolved to suit the the political need of the time. Mm. You know, the social need of the time. They're manipulated. They're they're amended. They're adapted. Um, I think that's that's you know that that's that's probably right. Yeah. Who knows where it's heading? I don't know. Well, you can even go to the extreme when you talk about uh, Adolf Hitler and his invention of positive Christianity, right? After all, that's where the blonde hair, blue-eyed baby Jesus came from. <laughs> and I think most people are unaware of that. Uh, yeah, I was not aware of that, but, you know, he certainly oh, yeah. wasn't blonde, blonde-haired or blue-eyed, i tell you that much. Exactly, right? And, and most, <laughs> I tell my mother, who's still a, a devout Catholic, and whenever I tell her about the little, little baby Jesus she's got a nativity scene, she just cringes, no, no, this is impossible. Huh? Do you really think some Middle Eastern child would be blonde hair, blue-eyed hair, Mom? <laughs> Give it a thought for a sec. Oh, it's amazing. Um, right. Doctor, uh, in your research, have you found maybe uh, examples of, of religion that were maybe the uh, facing the other way that were maybe like more matriarchal, led by women? There, there have been there have been across the ages, but I, that's not what you see predominantly. And and one of the things that I that I that one of the questions I pose is how well would pacifistic religions survive? When when you have other religions around them that are based on conquest, mm. that are based on you know swallowing up your neighbors, converting them to Islam or Christianity, and you know giving uh, you, you know proscriptions for leaving that religion, you know in, in Islam it's death if you leave the religion it's death mm-hmm. you know, so how how well would that fare, you know probably one of the things that that makes the the uh, Abrahamic faiths probably so effective which they're practiced by it's practiced by half the world's religious uh, practitioners is, is probably it's 
you know, the, the fact that it's based in, in, in conquest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so who knows? I mean, you know, maybe that's why we haven't even shucked off the Old Testament because, because the, the, this notion of, of Jesus Christ, he was a, he was, he wasn't a pacifist, but he sure was compassionate and he was mellow and he was very liberal, you know. Um, but his followers weren't. That a, <laughs> his followers weren't, and so so you know, but who knows? Maybe they're drawing more from from the God of the Old Testament, who was who was he was pretty vicious, dude. Well, absolutely. I, I think I think it's a very good point. I think we we have we hear a lot of from Islam and Christianity saying they're religions of peace, but I think their history demonstrates everything but that. They're far from. Oh that. boy. Yeah, that's not accurate at all. <laughs> and of course, all this translates. We can't go. We can't go on without saying that this all translates into today's politics as well. Well, we're, you know, religions are political systems. Mm-hmm. You know, and and as we've developed secular uh, forms of government, they're, they're still kind of infused in our, in our, in our, in our government. But but certainly, you know, you see that in the U.S. more probably more than other places in the developed world. Mm-hmm. It's pretty striking. Evangelicals, you know, supporting Trump, for example. Yeah, is, is it? Do you figure it's because the U.S. in the Western world is actually one of the most religious countries? It is one of the most religious countries, and 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 certainly that's 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 why I think it infuses religion infuses politics so much in in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I always, uh, I'm starting to think as a Canadian, you, you guys in the U.S. are like two steps away from becoming a full-blown theocracy sometimes. It's frightening, isn't it? Is. It, it is. It absolutely is. As your biggest trading partner, it's like, wow. <laughs> sort of think. Uh, um, professor, we are aware of this. Uh, the atheist population, uh, for the foremost, I think, is has somewhat of an inkling to... to, to to agree with what you're saying on your book, but for the average Joe, how can we, how how can we fight this? How can we not let ourselves be manipulated so easily on a primal basis? Oh my gosh! Well, you know, studying evolutionary psychology, mm-hmm. you got to study it. If we're if we're not aware of our impulses, if we're not aware of these of these parts of our brain that light up in the presence of dominant, you know, chest thumping presidents. Um, or or religious leaders or whatever our projections we make into the into the clouds if if we're not aware of it we're we're more likely not less likely you know to to enact our our, our basest impulses you know and some sometimes that that means just going along with the tribe going along with the clan mm-hmm. you know so one of the things I advocate so strongly for is is for evolutionary science to have a protected place in, in our public education system. Mm. And we're still in this fight in the U.S. I mean, where I live in Texas, you know, there's been an ongoing fight um, to not teach creationism in public schools. Oh, yes. Not, you know, not, not inject false uncertainty into, into natural selection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had many, many talkings with our friend Arn Raw about this. <laughs> He's been fighting mm-hmm. very hard on this side as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So essentially and- education is at the basis of this. I think I think it's it's helpful, but you know there's there is some research showing that you know when people get more educated, biblical literalists become more firm in their beliefs in in biblical literalism, you know, and I think they just have a a, a broader repertoire of 
of uh, ways to to engage in, in what we call motivated reasoning, you know, reasoning with emotions, mm-hmm. um, deflecting information. So it's not just education, it's the kind of education. And we need to teach critical thinking in schools. That I, I cannot stress this enough. It's so important. Teach people how to question. Teach people how to um, information literacy, how to look at this a morass of information that's coming through the web and, and sort through what is real and what is not real. Mm-hmm. Be aware of our own psychological biases. I mean, mm. everybody has emotional, uh, has psychological biases where you kind of reason with emotions and not with critical thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to teach all these things, you know, and I think, I think you build stronger societies that way. Yeah. Maybe, maybe instead of uh, fighting to, uh, um, teach the older generation go with the kids teach the kids you know wipe the slate <laughs> yeah well certainly i think i think um i think we do need to wipe the slate i think we need to teach people how to think not what to think exactly exactly couldn't agree more uh professor uh, i hear there's a woman saying your ne- there's a next book project coming for you uh, something about uh, evolutionary partisanship there is. Okay. Um, I I've, I just actually finished it, and oh. you know, hoping that to get, hoping to get that through the publication process relatively soon. And the the idea is that, well, the the purpose of of, of this work is to help us understand political partisanship. Mm. Why why do we have political parties? Why is there? Why do people identify so strongly with political parties? What do they mean? And. Um, and why do they seem so gendered? You know, for example, you know, um, you know, a number of pundits and, and commentators have pointed out that, you know, liberalism has these very feminine sort of characteristics to them. Mm. Um, um, compassion, caring, um, you know, emphasis on sharing wealth, um, kindness, whereas political conservatism is more about you know, territory, uh, you know, hawkish foreign policy, um, hierarchy between groups. And, you know, what I'm trying to explain is where did this stuff come from? You know, this is, this is very old and, and, and political parties are just the surface. There's, there's some old dynamics underneath the surface that, that make people identify with a political party that drives part, um, you know, certain policy preferences, um, according to political identification, things like that. And, you know, there couldn't be a, a, a greater need for that than now in the United States when we're becoming more and more and more divided by, by partisan line, along partisan lines. No, I totally agree. It's, it's gone beyond just politics now. It's, it seems to be in everyday life as well. Quite concerned about that. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is how... Why Donald Trump? <laughs> How could that have happened? You know, the whole world is like, what on earth are you guys thinking? Um, we'll be talking and about how Donald Trump the for evangelical, decades. how could he have gotten the evangelical vote to the extent that he did? Yeah, we'll be talking about Donald Trump for the next couple of decades for sure. <laughs> oh, boy. If we survive them. So when is this uh, book? Uh, you, you finished a book. It's in the, the, the publication process. When do you expect it to come out uh, approximately? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping this year sometime. Okay. But, um, 
um, you know, I would I would like it to come out tomorrow <laughs> if I could. <laughs> well, when he does come out, uh, Dr. Garcia, please do us a favor and come back on the show and explain to us about that book, and uh, let's go into more details about it. Sounds like a deal? Oh, I, I would love to. I would love to. Fantastic. Professor Garcia, thank you so much for joining us today on the show, but here, the mic is all yours. Be shameless. Go ahead and plug yourself. If people want to reach you and want to find out more about your books, where can they find you? Well, you can you can go to my website, hector-garcia.com, and you find, you know, um, podcasts and research and things like that. I got a TED Talk on there, and there's a way to reach me on there as well, hector-garcia.com. Fantastic. Dr. Garcia, before I let you go, I got to have you say, hello, I'm Professor Hector Garcia, or Dr. Garcia, if you wish, <laughs> and I took a left to the valley. Hello, I'm Dr. Hector Garcia, and I took a left at the valley. And that was Professor Hector Garcia. Oh, very, very interesting discussion on Alpha God and how, you know, we have a tendency to go for the big males. Certainly something you will have to keep an, keep an eye on. Absolutely. Yeah, those kind of topics are always really, really interesting. You lead to a lot of questions and a lot of other discussions. I think I think what they do also is they, uh, they reveal much about ourselves. And even though we like to think of ourselves as very intellectual and very advanced, we're actually way more primitive than we think in many aspects. <laughs> oh, I think, do you think we're more primitive than, than intellectual? Do you think we're a blend of the two? We're a species that goes on grave sucking. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of grave sucking, <laughs> if a Christian grave sucks on a grave of an atheist, is he automatically deconverted? Good question. Isn't that a great question? And if I love so, that question. Christopher Hitchens may still play a <laughs> Put some <laughs> wisdom-sucking Christians on Christopher Hitchens' grave. Uh, to our audience, I, I, I apologize for the three of us, but we've just become so... Kirsten just totally <laughs> totally sucked okay with that. She sucked us in with this topic, and we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to be living with this topic for... For, for the a long weekend. time. A long time. I can totally see a Christian getting up of Christopher's grave saying, yeah, it tastes like Johnny Walker Black in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Christopher Hitchens' best work is yet ahead of him. <laughs> yet ahead. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, guys. You can follow us on leftatvalley.com. You can follow us on uh, fa- uh, Facebook, on Twitter, at LETV Podcast. Send us an email at leftatvalley at outlook.com. Give us a five-star review. It really helps the show. It helps other people find the show, too. That'd be great. Coming up next week, we'll be talking to Dr. Ben Davis. I'll talk about nuclear power. Oh. That'll be interesting. I'm so happy we're not missing that one. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we'll be talking to, uh, in May, we'll be talking to John Weedy and the illusion of God's presence. Yeah, that I'm, I'm looking forward to that one, too. And our old friend Ethan Siegel comes back to talk oh. about the Big Bang. Oh, boy. That'll be interesting. And, of course, we'll also be talking to Michael Moore, not the... Not, not, not the filmmaker, but yeah. Michael Moore. We'd be talking about children and autism. That'll be an interesting show, too. Uh-huh. And our old friend Del Ray comes back to us on the 26th and talk to us about why people cheat. I'm excited for that episode. Yeah. Yes. Isn't and, he like a professor emeritus of this show? I mean, he just, <laughs> pretty much. At this point. He's almost a stable <laughs> on this show. Exactly. And in the month of June, we'll be talking to the sultry voice of Seth Andrews of The Thinking Atheist. And 10 years now, I will be talking about wow. the differences he's seen in a decade of The Thinking Atheist. Wow. What are we going to do when we get to our 10th year? 
Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> I think the apocalypse is going to happen way before that. <laughs> oh, speaking of the apocalypse. It's this weekend, isn't it? It's it weekend? is. It's Monday. Monday. Oh. Le- yeah. Well, eat. it was great doing the show with you guys. Yeah, How fitting ending on a Monday. Yeah. Eat, drink, and be merry because Monday, gone. Well, forget all I said then. We're not going to have another show then. If no. <laughs> <laughs> the apocalypse happens Monday. That's right. <laughs> I, I just have a sneaky feeling that's not going to happen. I don't know. Yeah. Call me cynical. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in next week to see. Oh well, if 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 the world's gone, it's just we're we're now in outer just, space. Exactly. <laughs> we'll just have white noise next week. It's it's white noise. We'll bring the equipment with us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Until next time. The system is broke down, working backwards in the only action of tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them. The parties of God's hands are bloodstained, millions of murders by believers, and they're all in God's name. And let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful. That many atheists are told to be quiet, you're not alone, speak your mind, time to let it be known. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be a